You're listening to the Thousand Hills Podcast. This is the second message in our series studying through the book of Galatians. It is titled Rebellious Faith, and we're going to be taking a closer look at how Christians are meant to grow through discomfort, through challenge, and towards Christ. So let us continue this chapter in verse 11. When Cephas, again Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was what? Afraid. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcised group, the circumcision group. Those are Jews. They came from James there, from Jerusalem. In other words, he's in Antioch, in the church, how to be planted by and brought up with Paul and Barnabas. But when Jews from Jerusalem, where he is from, come and show up, what does he do? He shrinks away from the Gentiles that he was fellowshipping with when they show up. And Paul says, I called him out for it. James, again, was serving Jerusalem, sends those Jews, and Peter becomes skittish because Peter's ministry was primarily to the Jewish people, to the circumcised. So he did not often have to navigate how he would handle situations such as these. Now, why was he uncomfortable with the Jews coming from Jerusalem? Well, because amongst his peers, he accepted, he, I'm sorry, he enjoyed easily being accepted as a fallow Jew of good standing. He knew that many of them might have an issue with him sitting at a table that might contain food that wasn't kosher. Or if they knew that he might perhaps be eating the same food that they were, they might seriously look down on him. In other words, he is in a situation that is compromising his ability to look like everyone else. He is putting himself in the deep water where he may have to challenge other Christians who may not instantly approve of it. God had already told Peter in Acts 10 through a vision of a sheet lowering with animals on it that were unclean to eat. That he should not call unclean what God had made clean. Meaning, the Gentiles can take place and have a part in our faith and though you call them unclean, I can purify them through my blood, no longer reject them. And yet, when push came to shove here, Peter falls to a temptation that we can all fall to so easily. His flesh still craves comfort and safety. Verse 13 says this. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Peter's leadership was well respected by the entirety of the church. And Barnabas was heavily connected to the leadership of Jerusalem. The devil here is trying to use Peter's desire for comfort to destroy the church by separating it through racism and dead religious practices. You see, this would have been doubly damaging, though, for that last part. They're in Antioch. Who pastors in Antioch? Barnabas. That means that he was the one who helped to bring them the gospel of Christ. He was the one preaching to them that they could be saved through faith. And yet, now that Peter has showed up and has pushed them away, now even their own pastor, their own leader, treats them as less than. The man sent by God to them 
would treat them as less holy and acceptable than their Jewish circumcised brethren. And I would like to add, I love how far this is strayed from the example Christ gave. Peter was there. Peter saw the ministry of Christ. Peter knew what went down. This is the man who famously ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. The man who Peter knew had met a Samaritan woman known for infidelity and offered her salvation freely alongside a well. Then stayed in Samaria for days preaching the gospel and saving whoever, li- whoever would listen to him. They weren't Jews. They were half Jew, half something else. They were unclean. They weren't under the practices of Judaism. They weren't living the lives they were expected to under that Mosaic law. And yet Christ still offered them salvation freely. And yet now, Peter shrinks away from Gentiles for the fear of what other Jews might think. The man who watched this go down now shrinks away from the example set for him in the face of challenge. And again, this is not to just condemn Peter and say he was a weak Christian or pathetic or something. It's to say that even a strong Christian as Peter and Barnabas, if they can fall to the so can we. And we must be aware of what our flesh craves and where our comfort zone lies. Because if we're not constantly aware of it, in times of distress or challenge, we also may go running back to where we are most comfortable. God would not allow his church to be torn apart by this. So he used Peter to break it up. We have a quick slide just to let you guys know. Again, fasten your seatbelts. This is where it's going to get crazy. Verse 14 says this. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul took Peter to task. I don't want to soften this, but he's pulling the charade to the ground before their eyes in front of the Jews, in front of those people who he's trying to press. He's going, you're of Jewish heritage, right? So um, why, don't you, uh, why don't you follow the rules? They're so important. Why don't you adhere to them? He's saying, you're a Jew, but last week I saw you munching down on that bacon sandwich. How is that? It's delicious. I mean, if it was BLT, put a little avocado on there. He's saying, if you're eating those lobster legs, how can you now go to the Gentiles and say, well, you're not following the rules? Shoo. I love that. It's just, that's just so cold-blooded. <laughs> that's just such a takedown. If these Gentiles can't be saved because they're not obeying the Mosaic law of circumcision, then wouldn't you be damned too, Peter, for eating non-kosher foods, which is also against the Mosaic law? Pray tell. Verse 15 says this, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul tells Peter, you and I grew up in the Jewish tradition. We know what it's all about. But don't forget where you came from. If we could be righteous by our works, then we already would have been righteous. But you were a fisherman. You were the man who saw a miracle and said, depart from me, I am a sinful man, to Jesus. 
Don't forget that if it was by works that we could have been saved, we would have been doomed trying to hold to it now. If it was simply something that we could do by our actions, then why didn't you do it then? It's because you knew and I knew that there was no chance for us to be saved through our works. We were doomed. Again, if you attach yourselves, Galatians, to what the Judaizers are saying, he says, which is no gospel at all, which is no good news at all, you are sentencing yourself because there's no way you can hold to that standard. No matter how hard you try, don't tie yourself to an anchor and then jump into the sea. (sighs) Paul then pleads his case to the entirety of the Jewish group here who separated themselves, including Barnabas. He goes, Peter, don't forget who you are. And for the rest of you who might jump him now, listen to me. Verse 17, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also amongst the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Paul says, I just gave away Peter's great secret and both I and Barnabas has also lived in the same way. And now you have a choice to make. If preaching God's word to the Gentiles and having fellowship with them, as Christ had instructed us to, is truly sinful, then you are saying that Jesus himself promoted sinning. Do you really believe that to be the case? Do you think Jesus told us to break Mosaic law because he wanted us to fail and be thrown into hell? That's a non sequitur. Verse 18 says this, If I rebuild what I destroyed then I really would be a lawbreaker. Paul's saying, if I have come to know the truth of Jesus' death for my sins, only to then reject that message and go back to trying to earn salvation by my own works and my own holiness, then who's really against Christ? Who's really against Christ? The one relying on his death and resurrection or the one saying, I know what you did, but I don't need it. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I may live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He is saying, I am completely, I've completely given up on trying to cling to the law for my eternal life and have instead begun to cling to Christ. The old me sought out righteousness through the law, and that part of me died. Those chapters of my life died. They benefit me nothing. In Philippians, we talked about him calling his previous works garbage. Instead, now, he seeks to obey Jesus and seeks life through faith in Jesus' sacrifice on his behalf and on our behalf behalf. And he closes with this. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He says, I do not discount God's grace as truly not good enough to wash away my sins or justify others who put their faith in him. And if you do, and you think that we must do more than put our faith in Christ, then why did he die in the first place? Why did he give his life if it wasn't necessary or not enough? And I love this. 
because this is something controversial in the church at that time. And I would like to add this. Christianity is still controversial for that reason. Christianity doesn't just look rebellious to the world, oftentimes. Oftentimes in the four walls of a church, faith-filled Christianity is still controversial because of the lines that it crosses and the lengths that it will go to in order to win others to Christ. Oftentimes the church wants conformity. Conformity to what they believe we should look like and sound like and act like. When in reality we are called to conform to the image of Christ. But what truly is the image of Christ? Is the image of Christ safe? Is the image of Christ clean? Is the image of Christ a Disney film? Or is the image of Christ something much greater than that? To meet people who were looked down on by society where they were. To go in spite of the fact that religious leaders would look down on you for associating with that kind of person. To eat at a tax collector's house would be equivalent now to meeting someone in a bar to minister to them. Are we willing to go where the sinner is? Not so that we may stumble. Not so we can be entrapped. Not so we can go out there and have a drink and get drunk with them. We don't have to be the world to minister to the world, but sometimes we need to go where they are. Are we willing to go to those ends? I imagine Paul, if he came today, will be looked at very specifically by some churches as a sacrilegious zealot because he's too welcoming of people who we would say are clearly in sin and too harsh on those who claim to know Christ. I would like to remind you all that Paul wrote the words, follow me as I follow Christ in Philippians. So in other words, there's a great and rich tradition of rebellious faith in our church. There is an urging towards controversial Christianity. Not trying to fit or color in the lines, but rather following Christ into battlefields and places that look different than what we would anticipate them looking like. Feel different than we would anticipate them feeling. Our churches, I imagine, now are losing battles for our communities for the following reasons. Our faith is too tame. We think that faith is just following a set of rules, not doing outrageous things if Christ leads us to them. It's too polite. Our faith is too quaint. Our faith is too family-friendly. As some radio stations put it, positive and encouraging. Not enough about the brokenness that we should feel in our hearts over our sin or the bleeding that we should feel in our hearts over the spiritual death of others. I am less concerned with bringing comfort at a funeral to people by lying to them about where their loved one went. I am more concerned with saving their souls. I am less concerned with someone having a nice family holiday and more concerned with reaching those people if I have the opportunity and the relationship. I don't want to be positive and encouraging in all situations or at all times. I don't want to pretend as if Christianity is a ride at Disneyland. Christianity is dangerous. It is rebellious. It is powerful. I think many of us have become too sensitive and too sheltered to minister effectively to a world that softens its heartbreak in bar rooms drinking alcohol. I think we're too soft to minister oftentimes to a world that cusses to express its weariness and disillusionment. My mind goes to a young man in a Lakers jersey who said, I effing love Jesus Christ 
and was assaulted by ushers going, no, get him out, get him out. Not because the sentiment was incorrect, but because the language was offensive. I would rather have offensive language from truly changed hearts. I would rather have people from rough backgrounds who slip profanities into their praising of God and have to be grown out of it than to expel them because that's not Disney. We are scared of a world that wears necklaces that bear markings of satanic imagery or have tattoos of it. We're scared of them and they've been convinced that they hate God and that God is their enemy despite having never really had an experience with him oftentimes. And guess what? We allow ourselves to be driven away from them because they look scary. They should be scared of us. They should fear the truth that we hold. They should fear the fact that Christ may just shake up their world and God may meet them as he met Paul and bring them to their knees. Many have become too shy to meet an unbeliever head to head in defense of the gospel that we claim to believe. And many have become too lazy to serve those who are in true need. We oftentimes just want to help finish off the paint job of somebody's life in this beautiful house rather than lay a foundation. We get impatient with people who are growing and we cast them out. We don't want to meet the need of someone who has need continuously. Sometimes that's what we're called to. And at the same time, we've somehow become so comfortable and feel so safe, so clean in the fact that we're a G-rated Disneyland Christian, that we're bold enough to invoke the name of God as we pray for him to deliver to us our desires without ever asking if our desires align or conform to the standard of Christ or his will for our lives. We've become comfortable enough to criticize Christians who stumble as they learn how to follow God in the first place, labeling them unfit for God's love. While behind the scenes, we sit becoming gluttons of God's grace. We make excuses for our sins all day long, but we don't tolerate the more public sins of others who slip up. Paul was challenging the mindset of the day. And I think that's, that's our charge too. I think we must challenge ourselves to conform not to the culture, but to the image of Christ. And we must embrace our religious, our, I'm sorry, our rebellious faith. We must embrace the fact that we will sometimes be on the attack, be uncomfortable, be controversial. Because Jesus was too. Paul was too. Peter would go on to be too. The church of Galatia would go on to be too. My prayer tonight is that we will live out Christianity as Christ intended to the best of our ability that we will not leave behind the hurt or the lonely not write off the drunk or the druggie or the hurting or the homeless instead that we will challenge the things that we hold dear so that we do not sit in our comfort zone and die there because if we want to see revival in the lives of Christians around us and in our communities if we want to see true life take hold around us then we have to help lead that charge. And here's a really neat thing. You know that old saying? It's really tough to teach an old dog new tricks. You know how there's those people who end up getting married when they're like 75 and both people don't change even a little bit of their routines. They get mad at each other. Like, well, she wakes up at 6.30 and has toast and I wake up at seven and I want fresh eggs, but she's eating her toast by that point. It's just such a big deal because neither of them wants to give away. Well, at our age, we're still inherently flexible. 
There's still some bend to us. We haven't totally solidified. So we have a unique advantage in this. If we have not settled yet, please don't. Examine where you're headed. Do so mindfully so that you do not settle in that comfort zone. And again, it's very important because we have a unique opportunity to challenge those around us to do the same. We have been gifted the opportunity to be those flexible Christians, help urge others towards it. I hope that in our churches, we are holding that torch and pointing others in that way because that is something that we can contribute well. Right? Those older in the faith are wonderful at giving us wisdom, helping us to know where to step and what to avoid. But I hope that we as young Christians will lend some passion and some rebellion to those older saints that surround us. Amen? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to listen to more messages like this, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes by searching for Thousand Hills Podcast. Thank you for listening to and supporting this ministry of Thousand Hills Church.